Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Wes Goldberg, host of Locked On Warriors, here with David Vermill, the host of Locked On Heat. And on today's episode, LeBron James agrees with all of us about 2020. Jimmy Butler is rejecting putting a name on the back of his jersey, and TNT debuted the arena to a clunky start. But let's start with a promising bit of news from the bubble, David, where none of the 346 players at the Disney campus have tested positive for the coronavirus over the last week. Some people thought the season restart was precarious, but this shows that the league is going in the right direction as practices and scrimmages start this week. David, are you encouraged by all of this? Without a doubt. I I think it's been kind of heartening for for everybody to see on the outside that the protocols are being followed as closely as they are. I know it's easy to kind of make jokes about the snitch line and things of that sort, and I don't know that it's necessarily being utilized as much as people want to think it is. I know they've already said that they've had numerous calls and that Dwight Howard was reportedly one of the players that wasn't wearing a mask or something to that effect. It's all fun and games, but at the same time, the more you talk to players via Zoom calls and, and, and coaches and everybody that's in the bubble itself, the fact that they're following these protocols so closely is absolutely encouraging, and I think they're going to be able to maintain it. I, I, I think there are some rough moments there just because the magnitude of what they're trying to create has never been done before, and it is so wide-ranging that it's almost impossible to consider, even with all the months and, and, and money that's going into the planning stages there's always the, the X factor of humanity that could lead to a problem. And they've done a very, very good job of mitigating those, of, of finding a way to to prevent any kind of outbreak. Uh, and whenever there is a violation of some kind, they've been very swift about eliminating it and containing mm-hmm. it. So I, I there are still larger issues about the restart that I may have a problem with, ideological in nature. But as far as the actual containment of the virus and, and the prevention of its spread... They've done a very good job. I have to absolutely tip my hat to the, the NBA. Uh, you mentioned Dwight Howard there. Absolutely the guy that's getting snitched on the most. I mean, he's posting on his own Instagram <laughs> stories, just walking through the lobby of the Grand Floridian or whatever hotel they're at without a mask. Just, you know, he doesn't care. And I guess there's a report over the weekend that he doesn't believe in vaccines. So he's one of these non vaccines. Oh, really? And all oh. The, yeah, I, I saw a headline on Yahoo about it. I don't know. Um, I, if you were going to pick one player in the NBA involved in the bubble restart to be doing the things that Dwight Howard is doing, it would be Dwight Howard. Like, there's no doubt about it. Um, that said, you got to, like you said, um, tip of the hat to the league. They've done a really good job, um, you know, making, and we're reading reports from the reporters who are in the bubble, even the way that they're being quarantined. Like, if they're they're taking dramatic steps, and that much is clear. I should mention, though, even though that, you know, a lot of these players didn't test positive. There are some players on teams that have been left out of the bubble because they haven't traveled because they tested positive previous. Russell Westbrook, Eric Bledsoe, Pat Connaughton. uh, They are arrived. Bam Adebayo. They're all scheduled, I believe, uh, to get to the bubble campus this week. You mentioned the Zoom calls there, David. You've been on them. You cover a team that is in the bubble. I cover a team that is not in the bubble. So you've been involved (laughs) on these Zoom calls. What's the mood like when... When you're on these conference calls with with Eric Spolstra and Jimmy Butler and these guys, everybody seems very 
positive. I think the return to basketball has been incredible uh, around the league. Like I, I'm not just able to go on because I have an access to the NBA content network where they post all these videos. I've seen videos from other teams and, and by and large, everybody's been very, very positive, even with all the other issues that are happening currently and externally outside of basketball, the return to basketball has been overwhelmingly positive just to be able to get on the floor, interact with your teammates again. We've seen the footage of players fishing and, and, and playing bags and doing all these sorts of off-campus activities as they're you know inside the bubble. But uh, as far as the basketball itself, it's been very encouraging for the Heat. They've all been very, very competitive practices, as you would expect the team to be. Uh, they've been focused on, on winning a title or competing for a playoff spot and, and winning a title. And, and so... I think that's just the overall mood of around that team and many others in the bubble is that you know they're they're happy to return to what's defined them for so long and to be able to to share in the camaraderie of, of being uh, you know alongside their teammates. You you talk to retired players or players on the way of retiring and they always talk about missing that camaraderie of the locker room. Now they have it in a very very magnified sense because they're all within this bubble and and being able to interact at the local restaurants, the, the one restaurant they can go to uh, to be able to have drinks and and you know shotgun beer. If you follow Myers Leonard at all on social media, you've probably seen him doing that. So it's uh, it's been very, very interesting. For that team in particular, they've all been very positive. But I've seen mostly other players from other teams being just as optimistic about their chances and, and the fact that they were able to return to work. I, have, I still have some concerns, but before I talk about that, you mentioned the fishing and all these things. What would be your activity if you were in the bubble? Because you see golfing, uh, fishing, there's ping pong. Um, cards, dominoes, some guys just stay in their room and play, you know, video games, watching movies. What would be your activity of choice? Cards. I am a, uh, I am a huge spades aficionado, uh, mm. and, uh, dominoes too. So I'd be, I'd be playing cards and dominoes all night. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm probably hitting the links and dominoes and cards. I'm not, I'm not spades, but if anybody wants to play like, you know, just go fish with me, I'm, I'm down to, <laughs> to do that. Uno. I would play Uno. I'm very good at Uno. Uh, Uno is one of those games that has like its own following around the league. There are a couple players that have like a very tight knit Uno. Story. I think the Atlanta Hawks from a few years ago had like a yes. running. <laughs> they had like yeah. a lot of money I, attached to that Uno game for whatever reason. But uh, that's interesting. Maybe that's that might be the young man's game, the millennial game. But uh, I think uh, thank goodness Rajon Rondo isn't there. I mean, maybe that's insensitive considering why he's not there. But uh, I I, uh, I think that. He'd be walking around that campus holding a oh, Connect Four box, wondering any if does anybody want to play with me? And everybody's like, No, nobody wants to play with you, man. Nobody's wanted to play with that that with you for like seven years. So, um, <laughs> the the question about the fishing, everybody keeps saying, Oh, do they only have like one fish? And everybody seems to be catching it over and over. The problem is, <laughs> it's a catch and release system at the Disney World campus, right. and, and so like the same fish get do keep getting caught. This is like as much as we are, are having fun watching the players enjoy themselves. They're torturing these damn fish who can't tell the difference. Like the the, the the fish, I know it's easy to kind of say, "Oh, the fish are stupid," and that's why they keep getting caught. Well, they're also not used to having a lure and a metal hook at the end of it, and so when they do fall <laughs> for it, you're actually causing them a lot of pain. So, Paul George, right. Montrez Harrell, can we please stop? I mean, enough is enough. We get it. You can catch fish. There's only 14 rods too. I've also seen that they're like it's the same rods available, and you have, like players are renting them the night before so they could be one up on everybody, and they just keep going out there as soon as the rods are available they they, they get them for the next day uh in between practice sessions and everything else it's, it's pretty amazing 
I I am enjoying the scenes of them on these these fre- these Florida freshwater bodies, right? And I think just mostly like you and I are from Florida, like freshwater very much is a, is a catch and release system in Florida. Like that's mostly what you do if you're if you're just fishing like that, right? But uh, I I'm also enjoying the reporters there, you know, snapping like our our friend Ben Gulliver snapping photos of like frogs and lizards and stuff, just being like I am definitely in Florida. Um, you know, well, the, you know, the, I had the, him. I had him on the lockdown like, heat watch podcast. Watch out for alligators. I had him on the lockdown heat. Pa- he was telling me that he was while well, he was in the quarantine uh, in his uh, hotel room that he kept seeing the fauna from across the room and was very curious to go and check it out. But he wasn't allowed to actually leave his room for any moment. And so that, now that he's finally free, he can go and explore all of uh, Orlando's great nature. I'm I'm very glad that people are are getting to experience the great nature of Florida and that ecosystem. Um, my one before we get out of here, my one concern. Um, I don't want to poo-poo on the NBA's victory here because you know testing these 346 players and having zero positive coronavirus cases is definitely a victory worth celebrating. But it'll be interesting to see what happens when practices and, and scrimmages start. This week, and you would expect, right, that okay, all these guys, there's there's zero positive cases, so there shouldn't be a spread. Right. But we know that the bubble can be punctured. It'll be interesting to see if we have any cases uh, in that situation, or maybe there's a mystery case that happens. Somebody ends up testing positive. How did they test positive? Everybody was negative. All these things. So um, not ready to just completely say, all right, this has been, this is working. Everything's good. But definitely going uh, in a step in the right direction. And, and I'm concerned about human behavior being as typical as it is that they're going to eventually start to be a little lax about following these things as closely, especially once they get a few weeks, maybe even a month in and no reported case. If we start to see multiple weeks stringing together of zero positive tests, I, I, I have deep concerns that players will start to kind of take their foot off the gas, so to speak, and, and start you know stop wearing their masks as frequently. Maybe a little bit be be a little bit more lax with the protocol following, and and that just leads to potential disaster there. So I, I hopefully they'll continue to be strict. I think there's enough NBA personnel on campus where they can just continue to remind everybody, knock it off. Uh, even on the Zoom call today, uh, you know Eric Spolster's mask kept sliding off as he's addressing media. And, and he, you know, he kind of adjusted it and put it right back on there, but he kept fidgeting with it. So he, he's, he's been pretty diligent about it. I, I hope that's going to be the case in late August or you know, even September. LeBron James comments on the weirdness that is 2020 next. This is Locked On NBA. Let's get to some headlines from around the league, and you choose whether or not you want to discuss a topic. It's a segment we call Blow the Whistle. If you want to stop on a topic, just say blow the whistle. If not, we'll play on. Wes, are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. All right. LeBron James told reporter, quote, nothing is normal in 2020. Nothing seems as is. And who knows if it will ever go back to the way it was. But you make the adjustments and you figure it out along the way. That's what life is all about. End quote. Play on or blow the whistle, Wes. My initial instinct is to play on because I don't know if I really want to comment on sort of the existential (laughs) topic that LeBron James is hitting on and just the fact that 2020 has been very strange but then I realized I absolutely do want to comment on the existential topic that LeBron James is bringing up you make the adjustments and you figure it out along the way that's what life is all about I love that from LeBron James I loved watching this video of his comment about 2020 and all these things Um, he seemed very almost stoic in nature when he was responding not only this question but several other questions he was talking about missing his mom and how it's been like the longest time 
um, of his life, not being away from his mother, who I think is, is self-quarantining in Akron while he was obviously in L.A. And he just seemed to have a pretty uh, even keel about the whole situation. And when you talk about leadership that's needed, not only from the Lakers' perspective, but for the league as a whole, to hear LeBron James talk about things that way, talking about nothing is normal in 2020, that this is basically the new normal, and that they kind of have to make the most of it, um, I think it was important for him to sort of speak up about that and not really complain the way that we've seen a lot of players in the bubble complaining. LeBron is not complaining. I think of all the players in the bubble, he realizes he has the most on the line when it comes to his legacy. He's pushed for this thing to come back, so he would be a hypocrite, he would be a hypocrite to, to complain about it. Right. Um, but all that said, it could have been easy to do that based on the reality of what it, it turned out to be. So I thought he was really, uh, I thought he was really firm and, and, um, and uh, well-versed in his, in his response to these questions. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I mean, I kind of tend to blow the whistle a little bit uh, myself, but, or I'm sorry, I tend to play on, but at the same time, uh, you, you express it pretty clearly there. And I think the fact that he's able to kind of rationalize this and understand that he does kind of set the barometer for the rest of the league. He is a guy that everybody will kind of follow as, as far as him dictating the attitude that you probably should have while you're on campus. Sure. There are other superstars, none with as big a name as LeBron James and this Orlando bubble. And so for him to say, you know what, I think he was answering the question about what life was like in the bubble. And you know what his response again was, you know, nothing's normal. What, what's the point of kind of thinking about whether or not I could be in a, at home with my family or in a fancy hotel preparing for the NBA finals. Instead, I'm here, I'm adjusting, I'm moving on and I'm focusing on the, uh, on the task at hand, which is to, to continue to win games. So I, I think that's as we're starting to see more and more players become accustomed to the bubble life, as we're starting to see less complaints about food and everything else as you know, again, pe- people are having fun in Orlando in addition to everything else that they're doing for basketball, I think it's great to kind of have LeBron set the bar uh, and, and kind of set the tone a little bit for everybody moving forward. So let's move forward ourselves. Nate McMillan on Monday said he expects Victor Oladipo to play in the Pacers scrimmages later this week, setting up to the guard to participate in the season's restart. Play on or blow the whistle? I vote play on here. I, I Like when Victor Oladipo plays – we could blow the whistle and we could talk about it, but cool. Like he's, I guess he's he's set to play. We don't know anything official, so play on. You know, I, I wanted to blow the whistle a little bit, and I would have agreed with you if not for the fact that I had a conversation last week with Caitlin Cooper of Indy Cornrows at SB Nation talking about a potential Heat Pacers matchup. She's a great writer. You should definitely follow her. But she was kind of expressing it from a Pacers fan perspective, how she's really feeling for Nate at this point because he has to continuously adjust to the prospect of having Oladipo in and out and in and out. Like first he said he wasn't going to participate in the bubble, but I'm still traveling anyway. Then we find out that he's going to be losing upwards of $3 million if he doesn't play. Then he's still not sure. Then he kind of considers it. Now we're still not sure, but he's kind of leaning towards it. At the same time, they're finding out that DeMontis Sabonis has plantar fasciitis and may miss a significant amount of time because he can't put pressure on his foot at all. He might not be available. They're already... You know, without a couple other players there, Jeremy Lamb and others, this is this has got to be a nightmare for McMillan. I mean, there's so much going on there. Maybe nightmare isn't the right word considering everything that's happening outside the bubble. But as you're trying to prepare for this and you're kind of just making adjustments on a daily basis, this is just throwing him out completely out of whack. He cannot plan for these things when Oladipo continues to change his mind about them. So, and, and is he talk- changing his mind or is it like a health thing? 
Because, uh, I mean, it seems like both. It, it, it kind of feels to me like he shouldn't be playing, but he no, wants to play in order to get not. his money. Yeah, that, yeah, there you go. And he's risking even more money down the line here as a potential free agent in the season. I, I mean, to me, he could miss even more time next season if he should, you know, God forbid, hurt himself during the Orlando restart. Just to continue to make the $3 million he's making this year, I don't know. It just seems so risky. Boy, would that be the worst thing for Pacers fans? I mean, you lose Paul George to a freak injury if Oladipo gets an injury because I think Oladipo when he was healthy a couple of years ago I thought he was one of the top 15 players in the NBA that's fair and and he just hasn't been that and I just I, I don't know that he'll ever get back to that point and they they paid him a nice amount of money um I it's it's and he's going to be a free agent so like you said I mean there's a lot of teams out there that have Victor Oladipo high on their list of targets it'll be interesting to see how these next you know this next year and a half goes all right let's move on Former NBA stars Tracy McGrady and Jermaine O'Neal told the New York Times they intend to open a player representation agency this fall and that they view this as the best path for them to help young basketball players. Play on or blow the whistle, Wes? Blow the whistle. I think this is really cool. Um, we don't, we've had former players start as agents or start agencies in the past. I think of B.J. Armstrong, the former Chicago Bull. He's an agent now. Mm-hmm. Um, represents, I believe, Derek Rose. Um, and a bunch of other players, but uh, Trace McGrady is a superstar player. I mean, he is a huge name. Jermaine O'Neal played in the league for almost two decades, and uh, I think that to have two players of that stature who current NBA players and and players entering the NBA now, uh, there's a name recognition there, right, Mm -hmm. and there's a respect there, could be really um, interesting to see if they can sort of get this thing off the ground quickly because it's really hard i mean that is a cutthroat world the agent world as you and i know and to to be a former player to try to to, like tracy mcgrady went into broadcasting he's been with espn i think for five years almost now um and that's a tough transition i think from player to broadcaster but it's one that happens all the time but player to agent is a very different thing it is a very hard thing to do and it sounds like they're going to, you know, surround themselves with with people with experience, with agents with experience and stuff like that, which would be good. But it sounds like they're going with, about this in the smart in a smart way. And what is what sticks out to me about this, David, is the fact that they they look at this as a way to help players entering the NBA. Right. And that can never be taken for granted. I think it's a very important thing. It's something that's written about and talked about in league circles all the time is how little guidance a lot of rookies can have and oh, how yeah. if you don't have the right guidance when you get to the NBA, your career could be over before it even began. So I think it's huge. Absolutely. And, and more than that, I think, you know, a few weeks ago, we talked about the the legacy of the decision a decade ago. And I think the overall factor that we both talked about was the the sense of the, that LeBron really initiated player empowerment to a degree that we had never seen before. Uh, and I think this is just another manifestation of that, where you have players saying, you know what, players have been taken advantage of by other agents for decades, for years, ever since you know they first started representing players like this. It's all about themselves, and then the player comes next. This is players who already have their money. They're both rich, wealthy players. They already have the experience. I don't think that they're going to be doing this for anything other than altruistic purposes. Like you mentioned, they're going to be helping young players, and, and I have talked to a number of players, as you know, about that process of getting older and, and, and trying to understand mm-hmm. your way around the league. For guys like McGrady O'Neill to have 
that experience combined what 30 something years of NBA experience between the two of them as to how to manage their money, how to protect themselves, how to make sure that they're making their right decisions from the point that they're a rookie. Like often you enter the league and you're just worried about making it as a rookie, but to also kind of protect your self-interest and to understand that there's a bigger picture here that you have to kind of follow and manage as far as your career and your life and your finances to have two players that are representing you and making sure that you do have those interests at heart is a huge deal. So I, I, I'm glad glad that it's become something that, that we're going to see. I, I think actually a lot of players will start to will kind of go this route again. We kind of saw even with LeBron in the model as far as having Rich Paul and having a close-knit circle of friends. I think we're starting to see a lot more of that where players want to surround themselves with people who have their best interests at heart. And I think this is just another extension of that. Right. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I mean, LeBron and was, LeBron was fortunate enough to have that, right? Like right. he had those childhood friends who he trusted. But a lot of these players don't have that kind of circle. Don't they? Don't have people um, with those sort of aspirations. And so, if you can kind of outsource that almost to Tracy McGrady and Jermaine O'Neal, and right. that could be a huge benefit for a lot of guys coming to the league. Absolutely. Last point here: Jimmy Butler says he's still hoping the league will allow him to wear a blank nameplate on the back of his jersey in the bubble. If they don't allow that, he says his next recourse is to be determined. Play on or blow the whistle. I'm going to blow the whistle here, David. I'm going to turn it to you because you were on the Zoom call. I just I I, I kind of want you to tell our listeners what's going on here. Because uh, I'm still sort of catching up on it. Well, he has said that he does think that the league is eventually going to honor it. That we've heard some rumors and reports from Yahoo and, and, and other local reporters that maybe the NBA has decided to reject that. I think Tim Reynolds of the AP kind of said that the league was not going to allow him to wear a blank nameplate. Jimmy's still optimistic they're going to give him the chance to do so. But his original reasoning was that with so many lost black lives in recent history, uh, it, it would... I think he feels that it's the big, best way of making a statement is to just kind of erase his name altogether and to see him as more than just a name because there are so many other names that he can't put on his jersey. He can't mm-hmm. put Breonna Taylor. He can't put George Floyd, et cetera, et cetera. And so for him, just to erase his name kind of creates a canvas to provide you with a little bit of, of thought, you know, and, and understanding that there's more at stake here beyond just the simple messages that the league has allowed players to wear. And he didn't feel comfortable with any of those messages either, which is why he wanted to go a a different route. Uh, And other players, again, he said that other players have also asked for the same uh, right to, to have a blank name plate there. Uh, and I, I, my understanding is that they've also been rejected in that regard. So I'm not sure if Jimmy's just the most prominent player to be there. But either way, uh, he, he's taking this very seriously. He's talked a lot on his Zoom call. He's made a couple appearances already. And he's talked very frequently about the implications of playing here and the bigger issues at stake. And, and I think he's taking this quite seriously. For all the jokes that are made about him dribbling in his room late at night and you know the, late, the early morning practice sessions and everything else, whatever people in Minnesota or Philadelphia or even Chicago my feel about Jimmy Butler, uh, his attitude about the, the league bubble and the issues at large have been, again, pretty encouraging to me anyway as a media person. Um, you know, I, I think the league has been probably surprised by the amount of creative expression that's been requested by the players. Mm-hmm. When it comes to this, They kind of, they, I think they thought that by providing a list of acceptable you know, things that they could put on the back of their jersey that they would basically fix this or solve this issue that they would handle this and this is a deeply personal thing to a lot of players in the league so to pick from stock options just isn't ideal for them it doesn't it doesn't serve them it doesn't allow them to express what it is that they are trying to express and i think jimmy butler's 
reasoning here is pretty profound and very well reasoned, and I understand it. And I, I just think that the league maybe like, I, and I said this before on this podcast, but they have bo- they kind of botched this thing, and it's not from bad intentions. I just think that I, I do think that the NBA had good intentions with this. They were trying to make this, they were trying to create the simplest avenue possible. But I think, in by doing that, they 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 sort of inadvertently complicated it. Yeah. I I look across all sports, and and the the league that did the best version of this was the Premier League. They just said, okay, Black Lives Matters on the back of everybody's jersey. Period. End of story. And with that, you know, it might not be the preferred thing by everybody, but I think everybody in the NBA would have agreed with that statement. And by having the same statement on the back of every jersey from every team would have, I thought, created a very strong and unified statement, and I think the league should have gone in that direction as opposed to this more jumbled, um, disconnected um, option, which is, which seems to be where it's going. Absolutely. All right, well, let's move on. We'll talk about TNT's decision to pair Draymond Green and Charles Barkley on their new show next. This is Locked on NBA. Remember, listen to and subscribe to Locked On NBA on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you have some time, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. On Monday night, TNT debuted The Arena, an hour-long show featuring Charles Barkley, Draymond Green, and Dwayne Wade that will focus on the coronavirus pandemic, Black Lives Matter, systemic racism, and how the NBA will navigate this resumed season in the bubble. We'll talk about how they handled that first. Uh, or but first, David, I, I thought... It got off to a bit of a clunky start, even if it was a needed one. The first segment was dedicated to clearing the air for its panelists, specifically between Draymond Green and Charles Barkley. They got a chance to sort of bury the hatchet, and while Chuck walked back comments that he wanted to fight Draymond Green and punch him in the face, and he said he liked Draymond Green, Draymond may not have let him off the hook. Here's what he said. There are a lot of guys um, in this league that people run with what guys say on these on these platforms, and it affects guys' pockets. And mm-hmm. that's the issue that I've had. As a black man, you got to support the next black man. You can't keep putting the next black man down. I understand that there's a job to do. But I also know I've done too many great things in this league and won a lot to hear some of the stuff he be saying about me, and that's where I had the issue. Now, David, I think it's pretty clear that Draymond Green was being politically polite here, but was by no means forgiving... Charles Barkley for lashing out against him on several occasions on the TNT NBA show. I, I think that Barkley was pretty much saying, you know what, let's let's bury the hatchet here, but Draymond Green just wasn't having it. Yeah, I I, I really am surprised that Charles Barkley, I think, you know, he, he kind of joked at his age that he's not going to really fight a player. He's never going to fight an NBA player. He was more than willing to fight several NBA players during his career. He's just a very different and much older player person at this point. So, you know, I I feel it's kind of, you know, uh, writing checks that your ass can't cash kind of thing. Writing checks with your mouth that your ass can't cash sort of thing. Right. And uh, it's unfortunate because he's been very, very critical and unfairly of Draymond. And uh, I I just – now that he kind of had the opportunity – to really back up that statement, maybe they weren't going to get into a fight, but maybe he could have at least been consistent. I think Draymond, and you know this a lot better than I do, having talked to Draymond as much as you have, I think he would have respected Charles a lot more if he had just been honest and said, no, I don't like you, but I can work with you. Instead, he was just yeah. like, no, 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 I, 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 I don't mean any of that. I'm just joking. I'm playful. I'm trying to keep it entertaining and light. It's like, that's BS. You don't like him. Say it to his face. Be a man about it and be honest, at least. I think Draymond well, and- would have respected that. 
I, you're 100% correct. And Draymond could have, because they threw it to Charles Barkley first to address the issue. Right. Because um, that was sort of what the whole first segment was. There's elephants in the room. Let's address them. And Charles Barkley basically dismissed the elephant. He was like, I don't want any elephants here. And Draymond Green invited elephants. the elephant. Elephants He's are like, great. Yeah, I love them. Yeah. They're fantastic. And he could have easily, after Charles Barkley said his thing, been like, you know what, Chuck? Let's bury it. But he was like, no, I got stuff to say, and I'm going to say it. And he came in with what felt like to me a prepared statement. Like he was ready to, to have that. I was disappointed just from a comedy perspective. There was a bit that we had going on between TNT, uh, the TNT uh, pregame show and the dynasty of the last half decade that I thought was very valuable in, 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 for just entertainment purposes only. And Charles Barkley gave up on the bit. And you never give up on the bit. I mean, that, that was, to me, very disappointing as somebody who has won multiple... Uh, awards for his broadcast acumen. I thought he missed the boat here. I thought he had a, the, that show could have been so much more entertaining had there been that sort of bitter rivalry between these two guys uh, who were who were sitting six feet apart with plexiglass in between. Um, speaking of disappointment on the show, what was your thoughts in, of the the hour long show in general? Like I mentioned, you had four panelists across you know across the TNT studio, all separated by that plexiglass. There were several segments where they were just talking, a lot of segments that were pre-recorded, montages, things like that. It opens up with Killer Mike, um, you know, quoting Martin Luther King over like a Run the Jewels type beat that was really uh, intense, and it was a very intense way to start the show, Mm -hmm. but I thought that might have been the most intense moment of the show um, in total. But what were your thoughts? Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I think it kind of tapered off after the first few minutes with the Killer Mike intro. Uh, I don't... I don't know that Dwayne Wade and Charles Barkley were the best for it. Like, if Charles isn't being kind of, unfortunately, buffoonish the way he typically is on the TNT broadcast, and Dwayne just was not nearly as polished as I think he could have been. Like, he had his own issues to address regarding unfortunate comments supporting Nick Cannon. Uh, I think he just didn't know... I don't think he understood the magnitude of the moment. I don't think he was clear in expressing anything of value, to be honest with you. I, I know yeah. the whole production, as you said, was clunky. Like, there were moments there where they, they cut too quickly, and they, they you know, I think Kerry Champion even did a pretty good job of trying to address, well, the fact that let's let's let Charles say something, because he hasn't really had a chance to speak, or let's Dwayne, let Dwayne speak. You're trying to get everybody involved, but even once they do have that opportunity, they kind of fall flat in the moment. Uh, a lot of it seemed like it was very pro NBA, uh, you know, kind of saying, "Look, here we are. We really do love the movement. We're doing everything we can. This isn't just about the billions of dollars at stake here. Look at us." Uh, and, and I feel that's kind of unfortunate. It just felt a little too glossy for my taste. Like a lot of it was just very polished, a very pr- overly produced segment, uh, and I just it felt kind of flat. Like they had there was a great opportunity to make some real discussion there. You know what? I, I will say this. I'll walk it back a little bit. Aside from Killer Mike. Coach Popovich continues to be amazing as a speaker. Uh, I think very nuanced in his perspective, understanding white privilege and everything that entails, referencing other coaches that he's talked to, black coaches, Lloyd Peterson in particular of the Atlanta Hawks, uh, Mm -hmm. helping him kind of understand the depth of what needs to happen and understanding how as as a white coach – he, he has to do a better job of educating himself uh, and educating others around him. And I think that's uh, something we can all say. Yeah, and he hit on a really important point, too, about education is that he didn't learn about all like a lot of the events right. surrounding Juneteenth and all these things until this year when it was really brought to the forefront. Right. Um, and that's a problem. And he talked to players and other coaches who kind of had the similar experience. And, 
you know, he called for reformation of uh, our education system, specifically of our textbooks, which doesn't even teach even close to the to the complete history of black history and and we you know what black people have had to go through in, in this country and so i think uh that was a real uh poignant uh remark that he had and probably the most profound segment in the entire uh hour-long show if you're gonna go back and watch it i would probably just recommend that one and not really anything else because i wasn't really moved by much of anything um, everything else was sort of reported. You, it did seem a little PR-y, a little slanted toward the NBA. Um, but, uh, you know, they are going to have another week of these. They're going to keep doing these throughout the bubble season on and off. So uh, I'm sure they'll try to get better. And I'm sure us Unlocked NBA will try to get better throughout the week, too. Um, that's it for us today. Thanks for listening. Please stay safe. <laughs>